Welcome to the City of Refuge podcast, where our mission is to equip a diverse community of Christ followers to make him known. Good morning, City of Refuge. Glad to be with you all this morning. Um, Yeah, thanks for worshiping with us. So if you don't already know me, my name is Anna Lee. I'll be bringing the word this morning. I'm the daughter of Zhang Zhaoping and Li Wei. They immigrated here from Guangxi, China, to Houston, Texas, which is where I was born and raised. Houston is on the lands of the Karankawakadla, the Sana, the Atakapa Ishak, the Carrizo, and Kuatakan peoples. I share all that as part of my introduction because I believe that it is important to know who and where we came from, where we are now, and the original peoples of the land that we're on. Let's pray. Lord, would you open our eyes, ears, and hearts to whatever you have to say to us this morning, through your word and through this time. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Wow. What a journey. We are nearing the close of our time together in Mark's account of the life and ministry of Jesus. And it has been quite the ride. We have seen who Jesus is, how he responds to different people, and how different people respond to him. We have seen him as the humble servant king, the one who is also powerful enough to defeat death and raise again to life. The king whose kingdom The kingdom of God is not of this world and honestly is unlike anything this world has to offer. Thanks be to God. So now what? The last verses of Mark, chapter 16, verses 9 to 20, are unique. They are one of the only passages marked in your Bible with a footnote that says, These verses are not included in all of the earlier manuscripts. And it's true. Even as Brandon mentioned last week, many scholars believe that these verses may have been added on after Mark finished writing this account, which seems to end pretty abruptly before this point, right? Just the women run away. There are other guesses why the account may have ended this way. For example, potentially to invite the reader to think, how would you respond? if you were one of the women at the empty tomb. That's not what today's message is on, but good to keep in mind. Regardless, these verses, though we don't know everything about them, are still in the Bible. They're still included in all of our Bibles today, even with that footnote, and they align with parallel post-resurrection passages and the other three gospel accounts of the life of Jesus, Matthew, Luke, and John. So in that sense, they're not illegitimate or not worth including. With that in mind, I'm going to read them this morning. Now, when Jesus rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept. But when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, They would not believe it. 
After these things, he appeared in another form to two of them as they were walking into the country. And they went back and told the rest, but they did not believe them. Afterward, he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at table. And he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. And Jesus said to them, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents with their hands. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. So then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. The English Standard Version. So there is a lot going on here. The disciples doubt different people telling them about Jesus's resurrection. Then Jesus shows up, rebukes them for their unbelief, and yet he still commissions them and sends them out. He tells them about some of the signs they'll get to see, and then it says that Jesus gets taken up into heaven, and then the disciples obey, they go out and preach, and the Lord works in mighty ways. There is a lot going on here, again, even if some of the background behind these verses is still something that we don't know. Although we have been journeying through the book of Mark this morning, we'll actually be shifting our focus to a parallel passage at the end of Matthew, the closing verses of Matthew's account of Jesus' life. As I read this passage, I want us to imagine what it would have been like to be one of the disciples hearing this message, what they may have been thinking and feeling. Here at my last sermon, I also invited us to use our imagination, which sometimes I don't think we do enough when we read the Bible. These words may be familiar to us, lots of use in certain contexts, especially with missions. But what do you think they sounded like the first time? There wasn't any Gray Commission name to these words. Again, I want to invite us to put ourselves in the mindset of this group of young guys who are probably still wrapping their minds around the fact that Jesus, their beloved teacher, who they had watched be taken away and murdered by the state, is suddenly back in front of them, in the flesh, giving them more instructions. If that makes you feel confused or different things, like, wait, what? That's maybe how they were feeling, too. Now, the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. 
I'm actually going to read Jesus' words one more time as we, again, think of how it felt to hear these words. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. How do you think the disciples may have felt when they heard these words? One possible train of thought, again, okay, so you were killed, now you're alive, you're leaving again, and you're telling us to do what? Does it feel overwhelming, confusing, exciting, nerve-wracking, impossible? I think I feel a little bit of all those things when I try to imagine what it was like. But then I also think about all that the disciples have experienced and seen of Jesus, with Jesus, from Jesus. I think about all that we as a congregation have experienced and seen of Jesus as we have gone through Mark's account of the life of Jesus these last few months. How does that change how these words are heard and received? I want to invite us to think about these words from Jesus in light of all that we saw happen in Mark. And I want to start by touching on something that is mentioned in both the Matthew and Mark passages, which is doubt. Doubt is real. And it's not a bad thing. It's not a scary thing. Doubt is part of our journeys of faith. And I believe that doubt can help us to think more deeply and critically about who Jesus is and what it means to follow him. I mean, in this example, the disciples are doubting that Jesus, who again, they saw take away to be killed, came back to life. I think I can understand that. People being brought back to life isn't exactly a common thing, and it wasn't back then. So I can see why it was easy to doubt and kind of hard to believe, even though Jesus told them it was going to happen. When something happens that is completely out of our paradigm of what is not only normal but possible, (laughs) doubt is very natural. And Jesus and the kingdom that he ushers in, it is completely out of the paradigm of what is normal and possible in this world, especially when we see and feel the pain and brokenness all around us and inside of us. But Jesus is real and so is his kingdom. We don't have to be afraid of doubt. As we see in these passages, doubt was not a deal breaker for Jesus or for following Jesus. The disciples didn't always get it, and they didn't always believe. You think back to many instances in Mark when they were being tossed back and forth in the boat in the storm, they doubted Jesus. When there are thousands of people in front of them needing to be fed, they doubted Jesus. When Jesus told them the game plan, that they would go up to Jerusalem and that he would be killed and then raised back to life, they doubted Jesus. And here, when he has returned and is in front of them, even when they have doubt, he still calls them, commissions them, gives them authority, and sends them out. 
doubt is not a deal breaker for Jesus. Jesus starts by saying that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. All authority, everywhere. And we've gotten to see that too throughout Mark. Jesus has the authority over things that are physical, spiritual, relational, and more. I don't know all the AL words. Jesus has authority in the ways that he heals, the ways he teaches, the ways he calls out the religious leaders of the time, the ways he casts out demons, the ways he calms storms and walks on water, the ways he invites others to follow him, the ways he cares for and centers the marginalized, the ways he cleansed the temple, the ways he tells stories and parables. Jesus had authority even in the way that he willingly submitted himself to be killed. And Jesus has authority in the way that he overcame death and was raised back to life. Jesus tells the disciples to go, to tell others about who he is and what his kingdom is about. And as we saw in Mark, the disciples were sent out by Jesus when they were walking with him. So this is not the first time they received instructions like this. Even then, they were given authority over evil spirits and commissioned to proclaim that people should repent. And now, after they have seen Jesus be killed and raised back to life, after Jesus reminds them that he has all the authority, which is their strength and hope, they are being sent out again. And the disciples are reminded that they will be inviting and calling others to become disciples, to become part of the family of Jesus. When Jesus walked on this earth, his own family misunderstood him and ridiculed him. Jesus expanded the meaning of what family is. He said that those who do the will of God are his family. Those who leave things for his sake, even those who are rejected by their families for following Jesus, will receive from him and get to be part of this expanded family. And even more fun, the disciples are not just called to make disciples of those who are like them, but of all nations. Not just Jews, which is what they were familiar with at the time, but Gentiles too. That's a big deal. I know we think about that, but we don't really have anything like that divide today. That was a big deal, right? Not just this community, but beyond, way beyond. Even the people we may not like, or maybe we're raised to not like, Jesus calls us to go to them too, to make disciples of them too, to bring them into the family too. Jesus also mentions um, baptizing them, those that they go to, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I was thinking about it, and I know we know that terminology so well, but I think this may have been the first time the disciples heard that. You know, he knew, they knew about the Father, they knew he was the Son of Man, and he told them, the Holy Spirit is the one that I'll send to you after. But it's all together. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, which hadn't been done before. And I'm not going to go all the way into a teaching on baptism, and I will recognize that there is a lot that is taught and believed about baptism, and not everyone is on the same page. But 
It is important to remember, I think, that baptism, while a command, is not essential to salvation. It is an outward sign of a personal decision, the decision to join in the death and resurrection of Jesus. It's a public declaration and celebration with your community. And it is a celebration not just of a personal decision, but of what God did for us in saving us through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, his son, through which we are adopted again into this expanded family. I think sometimes when we hear this part of these words from Jesus, it feels like people focus on numbers, like how many people got baptized, or let's go baptize lots of people so that it looks like we baptize a lot of people. And the journey to get to a point of baptism is not a short one, right? So Jesus is talking about the long game, even in a few words. And I think that's why Jesus included baptism, to remind us that disciple-making isn't just about teaching, isn't just about a one-time sharing. It is about walking with others on their faith journey to the point where they decide to follow Jesus, as well as after. You don't want to just bring people to that point of wanting to get baptized and then we continue to disciple others even as they grow in their faith and again that's all grounded in what God did for us not in our own efforts Jesus commands us to teach others to observe all that he commanded that's a lot of things (laughs) sometimes I think we do focus too much on some things and not others Jesus did command us to do a lot And yet he also condensed things for us. He said that the commandments could be summarized into two sentences. Love God, love your neighbor as yourself. And kind of in the flip side, Jesus also expanded what the commandments taught, not just to follow the law to the letter, which is what people were used to and being punished if they didn't, and not just to do the bare minimum to get by, but to go above and beyond, to follow his commands in a way that brings life to ourselves and to others, to live out the heart of the law, not just the letter. Following Jesus' commands and observing all that he commanded us, it's not easy, but it's simple. It's not meant to be super complicated. Again, that doesn't make it easy, but it's not meant to be complicated, like we can't figure it out. Love God and love others. Serve others instead of trying to be on top. Don't seek power the way the world tells you to, but trust that there is power and hope and transformation in the ways of following Jesus. Jesus taught with real authority, and he taught in a new way not like the religious leaders that said a lot. He constantly talked about the kingdom of God, which is powerful and mysterious, starts really small, sometimes you can't even see it, and it grows into the big, something that's bigger than you can imagine. The kingdom of God uplifts the powerless, centers the marginalized, calls us to serve instead of just being served. It is unlike what the world has to offer. It is countercultural and transformative. Again, the Great Commission isn't just about teaching and sharing the gospel and word, though it is about that too. 
but it's about discipling people in growth in their faith journeys, again, to the point of being baptized and beyond. It's a holistic and relational process, not just teaching in front of a classroom or from a podium, but teaching through living life together, being in community and spending time breaking bread together, even in serving in line with the callings and our giftings that we have, like Mark talked about earlier. It's also through speaking truth and love to each other when we need to, through bringing healing to others, through reconciling with each other. Jesus taught not just in a verbal way, but in a holistic, fully embodied, and vulnerable way. He was not distant and far off, but very near. Jesus completes this set of verses by saying that he is with us always. But why does that matter? What difference does it make, he might think, that he is with us always? It's not a trick question. <laughs> when we think about it, the fact that Jesus is with us always, it changes everything. It does make all the difference. Because Jesus is who he says he is, teacher, healer, master, Lord, it makes all the difference that Jesus is with us always. Jesus, servant king and king of all kings, is the one who is with us always. The one who has been given all authority, not just on earth, but on heaven as well. He is the one who is with us always. This Jesus, this king, is the one who sends us out. The one who goes before us, beside us, behind us. The one who calls us to tell people about who he is and what the kingdom of God is like. And again, not just tell them, but teaching them, discipling them, baptizing them so that they grow in their journeys with Jesus not just telling others, but building trust, building relationship with them. It takes time and energy. Making disciples is not a quick journey. It's not a microwave process. There's no formula or timeline for making disciples, for teaching them to do all that Jesus commanded them and baptized them. And we are called to build these relationships, to share life, to make disciples with those of all nations, those who share similar journeys to us and those who have different backgrounds and life experiences. Growing together, sharing life, making disciples, again, not a quick process, but it is a holistic and relational process. There is urgency and importance but there's no rush. I think when we think of the Great Commission, we often only focus on the middle section, going and teaching and baptizing. And obviously, that is very important. <laughs> that is obeying what Jesus commanded. And doing it in line with God's truth is also very important. But without the first and the last section of what he said, it doesn't really matter. 
If Jesus doesn't really have authority in heaven and on earth, and if he isn't with us always, it doesn't work. But thanks be to God, Jesus has been given all authority. Jesus is with us always. It doesn't mean that things will necessarily be easier or immediately better. But our hope is in Jesus, bound up in his goodness and love. He is with us always. And in light of all of this, I want to ask us a question. How will you respond? In light of Jesus' life, his ministry, his words and actions, his resurrection and victory over death, his call and command in this last part of of the gospel, even with doubts and questions you may have, what will you do? Maybe there's people that you're thinking about. Maybe it's growth in your own faith journey. But I want to ask, how will you respond? Because the truth is that God made us to be in perfect relationship with him, with each other, and with the earth and the land. And when God gave us humans a choice to follow him or do our own thing, we said, I don't do my own thing, God, and I trust that I know better than you. And again, we see and feel and experience how much pain that brings and has brought and is still bringing. And that was painful for God. And again, I know we keep kind of going back to Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, but that's why God sent Jesus to live this life, to talk about the kingdom of God, to show that there is another way to live a better way. Jesus embodied everything he taught, and he embodied it to the end through his death and resurrection. And again, we look at all that he has commanded at the end, saying that he has all authority, commanding us to go and make disciples, baptizing them and teaching them to do all that he commanded, and that he is with us always. That is his call. Will you say yes? Will you say yes to the call to follow him, to submit to his lordship in your life, to be in community with others who are figuring out what it means to follow Jesus, the call to make disciples of all nations? I want to encourage us that wherever you are in your faith journey, maybe you're not sure about who Jesus is, but you want to keep learning. And there are people you can talk to, um, Brandon or the elders. Um, Maybe you are trying to figure out how to navigate things that have been hard, even if you're already following Jesus. But every time we read the Bible or look at Jesus' calls, there's an invitation to respond. So I just want to give us a very short amount of time, like a minute, just to think, how are you going to respond to this call? In the context of your life, which Jesus knows and understands with all its ups and downs, with your doubts and questions, how will you respond? Will you say yes to the call?
take a little bit of time to think and then I'll close this in prayer. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for these words. Thank you for the truth that you have been given all authority, that you're with us always, and that in light of that, you call us to go to make disciples, to baptize and teach. I pray that you would help each of us to see what you're inviting us to do as a next step in response to this call. Help us to say yes to what you're inviting us to. In your name we pray. Amen.